0: US news program. Mr Ghani said deadlines concentrated the mind but should not become dogmas. President Obama has pledged to pull out all remaining U.S. troops by the end of 2016. Afghan forces have increasingly taken control of security as international forces withdraw. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything.
0: Economic efficiencies, which means some more job
1: opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset clause. Money for nothing, nothing, nothing.
2: Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing on the first full week of the new year. It's Monday, the 5th of January 2015, and this is Richard Harris. We got up at 4am to check the business headlines of the day so that you don't have to. And here they are. 2014 trends continue into 2015. The euro and oil continue to drop. Chinese shares in Hong Kong recover some lost ground. And China debt stories bubble up over the weekend. To help us with the big picture today is RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, Richard Stevenson of Cushman and Wakefield is back to discuss whether Kowloon East is the new central. And our industry guest today is Joanne Oi of Plucker.com, who will give us the highs and lows of establishing an online luxury goods business. And for our guest host this morning, we have the ample talents of Hong Kong and China specialist, Alex Wong of Ample Capital. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Good. Well, I hope you've had a nice break like everybody else. We're all back to work today. Have you had any thoughts over the holiday?
3: Um, first of all uh, Hong Kong had been under selling pressure local bull chips has been under pressure for quite some time and people are switching their money um, into china pays I think that trend probably would continue because uh, we are seeing some weaknesses in in overseas market uh, during uh, the last uh, one or two days in the uh, last week. So uh, probably we would see some pressure in local bull chips, but uh, China shares probably would, be, would still be supported and that would help to support Hong Kong as a whole.
2: Do you know there was a rumor, Alex, about, I don't know, two or three months ago of Russian money coming into Hong Kong. This is before the Russian rule was in trouble, that sort of thing. There's been talk about Russians moving their money out. Has anything come into Hong
3: Kong? Uh this is very difficult to judge whether uh, we we would have that kind of money coming in Hong Kong into Hong Kong. But if you look at the um, Hong Kong dollar in exchange rate, actually that had been a little bit stable and probably a little bit weak. Uh, we can say that, and also MMB actually had been. Have, 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 been, uh, have been weak as well. So um, probably there are some, but not much, I think.
2: No, not that we can see. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to the news for a bit. Uh, Mario Draghi, president of the European Central Bank, gave an interview in the German paper Handelsblatt over the weekend, and in it he hinted that they may start a policy of quantitative easing to try and stimulate the eurozone economies. The ECB has been very worried by the fall in the level of inflation, which is currently standing at 0.3%. Inflation is seen as a way to encourage growth, and erode the European debt mountain. The policy is likely to lead to a purchase of government bonds for the first time, similar to measures taken by the US and the UK, which are two economies that have become relatively successful in moving out of the economic doldrums. Jens Norvik of Nomura tells us how it might
4: work they obviously been buying certain private sector assets already, covered bond, asset-backed mm-hmm. securities. So really the big asset that they can buy is government securities. Exactly how they put it together, whether they exclude Greece, for example, that's a really tough decision for them. Mm-hmm. But they will have to buy several hundred billions worth, and that's going to be the signal that they want to send. And then they hope that puts in motion a change in all investor behavior.
2: Well, how does buying government bonds actually work? Here's Jens again.
4: Well, I think it's a two-step process, right? So first, we need to get financial markets moving. And I think there's some evidence that that is happening. The euro is going down. You can see how Spanish bond yields are going lower and lower. And then once that effect has matured, then it translates to the economy. How big that effect is going to be is a very, very tough question. But it's starting to move through the system.
2: Okay. well, what's uh, Mario Draghi trying to do with this mid-course correction? Why write a Handelsblatt over the weekend?
4: I think he's trying to convince the German public that they get ready to do this and try to sort of uh, prepare them. And I, uh, I think January is to like the meeting. Inflation expectations are moving lower and lower. Actual inflation expectations are moving lower and lower. Well. So I think they have to deliver something to be credible in terms of uh, having a chance to reach their target.
2: Of course, the people who've been most resisting QE in Europe have been the Germans, as they think they're going to pay for it all. Angela Merkel has not been happy with the idea of buying bonds of weak European fringe economies. She said over the weekend that Germany could live with Greece actually leaving the euro, which seems to imply Greek bonds would not be bought. Hans Nichols of Bloomberg illustrates that debate.
1: You know,
5: with the exception of maybe Angela Merkel's government, you don't have a whole lot of sort of pushback to this idea that you need to have... Uh, that you need to spend more and do structural reforms. You know, what you get from Merkel is always structural reforms. What you get from the other side is, well, let's spend a little bit more and then do the structural reforms. We've been at that impasse now I don't know, three years? And what's growth done? I mean, have you had a year where growth has been anywhere close to what it was to pre, pre-crisis levels? No. I mean, the G- GDP isn't even at pre-crisis levels. So, yes, this is Draghi's gambit. One little note on this, he doesn't really need the Germans on the central bank to go along with asset purchases. He's been very clear about that. You do not need unanimity on the ECB to actually do asset purchases.
2: So it looks as if the helicopter is about to take off to drop money on the Eurozone. It's no longer Helicopter Ben, for Ben Penanke, but Super Mario. Such a, policy lead, uh, such a policy led the markets to punish the euro, which has lost 2.5% since Money for Nothing was on the air last Friday. The euro is now trading at the lowest level for four and a half years at $1.19. The yen's just about holding its own, though, at one twenty fifty-six to the dollar. But the pound has sunk, together with the euro, to one fifty-two, or just 11 Hong Kong dollars and 80 cents to the pound. Brent oil continues to flow downwards and lost about a dollar over the weekend, and gold lost 10 bucks to 1,186. Meanwhile, in the US, stock markets were little changed on low volume on Friday. The S&P's closing down a tick at 2,058. Most markets in the US and Europe lost about 1% on the week in local currency terms, with the European markets losing 3% in US dollar terms as the currency weakened. Chinese shares in Hong Kong recovered some lost ground on Friday as the 8-share index, the HSCEI, rose 2.17% to 12,245. Shanghai was closed. The Shanghai index has risen 48% in the last 12 months, while the HSCEI has gone up just 17% with nearly 5% of that last week. Alex, this um, spread between Shanghai and Hong Kong does look rather strange, doesn't it? Something like... uh 32% 32% premium, I, I think it is. Um, yeah. When's it going to close?
3: Oh, I think uh, we need to have China money coming into Hong Kong. Right now, I think uh, there's a divergent real between um, Chinese investors and foreign investors. So Hong Kong price actually reflected the opinion of foreign investors. But China investors are very bullish on, on Asia. Uh, but uh, the overseas investors actually are not that bullish. So that's why we are seeing a divergence between the price uh, uh, in Hong Kong and In China. Actually, that spread um, widened by around 20 to 30 percent last two months only. But we've
2: had the uh, Hong Kong Shanghai stock connect come up, which is really, in many ways, a unique system of cross border trading. Why isn't it arbitraged out quite easily?
3: Oh, I think, uh, first of all, um, because the Chinese investors uh, thought uh, Hong Kong turnover was not uh, that huge. So um, the the market depth actually uh, uh, differs in, in Hong Kong and Shanghai. And then uh, also um, there's uh, an asset limit for Chinese retail investors to come to Hong Kong. They need to have uh, half million uh, in their account. And then also I think... Uh, uh, they are worried about the um, transaction costs because of the um, uh, conversion in into Hong Kong dollar. That would be required in every transaction. So that that's why they are they are a little bit hesitating to to come to Hong Kong. Mm,
2: would have been a great deal, though, wouldn't it? Uh, converting into Hong Kong dollars.
3: Oh, um, because of the the the. the the spread actually was, was uh, perceived to be quite high for them. Yeah. I think uh, that, that is uh, one thing which probably may be corrected uh, later on.
2: Yeah, great. Okay, let's talk about Macau now, where gambling revenue fell 2.6% in 2014, breaking a stunning record that had taken the SAR on an eight times rise in last 10 years and turning the enclave into a gambling centre larger than Las Vegas. In separate news, Melco Crown Entertainment announced that they would delist from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange because of low trading volume. A consensus of analysts now expect growth in Macau gaming to be just low single digits in 2015, and the industry is expected to shift its focus to the mass market rather than the high rollers. Alex, Macau gaming stocks have been great
3: darlings of the market, haven't they, for so long? Um, Is this the end? No, oh, at the end actually come uh, last March already. So we are seeing a very um, persistent decline in Macau uh, for almost uh, three quarters now.
2: Okay, well, let's move from Macau, Macau, one of the smallest enclaves in the world, to the largest economy in the world and speak to Barry Wood, who's our international economics correspondent. Good morning, Barry. Good
5: morning, Richard. And well,
2: good morning, Alex. Good morning. Uh, Barry, you truly are international because I understand you're in Toronto today.
5: Boy, I did. I just drove in here in the last hour, and uh, what a snowstorm. It's uh, good North Ontario weather.
2: That's why we're all pleased we live in um, Hong Kong. <laughs> Although, let's, let's further our international credentials by talking about Europe for a little bit. This um, uh, seems to be quite a big move by Mario Draghi, basically, on the first, day, first trading day of the year.
5: Well, I I commend you, first of all, Richard, for putting together that package of voices about the European dilemma. And as Alex speaks about divergence between Hong Kong and China, I think you've really got now divergence between Germany and uh, the European Central Bank, particularly Draghi, and certainly uh, divergence between the United States and Europe. But in answer to your question, I think uh, Mr. Draghi is trying to navigate a very narrow path between German opposition to QE and what he feels is essential to activate the European economy. Now, the problem of this divergence is deeper because, you know, the euro exchange rate has gone down so dramatically that uh, it is good news, I suppose, for the Italians and the French and the Portuguese and Spanish, but it's bad news for the Germans because they have payment surpluses. They should be getting a stronger currency. So it's a, it's a kind of manna from heaven for the Germans. Yes, but the it, Germans are so cautious. They don't, I don't think Mario Draghi has won this battle at
2: all. It certainly seems like that, because it's gone on for a long time. Uh, but we do seem to be in a position where people are quite pleased the euro is going down. You know, the Germans with their manufacturing and export market must be delighted. Um, but aren't we likely... Certainly in the future, when these things start to come through, maybe in six months of your time, I can like see an onset of the currency wars, with everybody trying to devalue.
5: Boy, that's the danger, Richard. That is the danger. And, you know, we've avoided that all the way since 2008 and the Lehman Brothers collapse. Everyone predicted there would be some kind of currency war. It hasn't materialized. But now you find the dollar really soaring, and it's soaring really against everybody. It's uh, certainly up against the euro, the Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar, all of the emerging market currencies, even uh, even the renminbi. So, I mean, I, I don't know where we're headed on this and if this can continue. Clearly, it's related to the oil price, but uh, we're entering a period of volatility, I think, in the global economy that we haven't seen for not just uh, two or three years, but five to seven
2: years. And looking at a big market like the U.S., you know, it's interesting that if the currency is very strong, most people are not really going to figure out. They might see some reduction in inflation, which from their point of view is a good thing, and we should see that come down in the U.S. But are people actually sensing the dollar is as high as it is and the impact
5: on the rest no, of the world? you're absolutely correct. The average American doesn't even know what the, the exchange rate would be. I mean, investors, of course, care. But uh, unless you're a multinational corporation like Caterpillar or a motor company, uh, the average person on the street shopping in the mall, the exchange rate doesn't matter. The, the price, now if there was a sudden shock of prices going up at Walmart. Of, of Chinese goods this would cause people to talk about that hasn't happened yet no. Be I the think opposite. the dollar would have to go quite a bit higher Richard before anything like that would occur
2: Great, well thank you Barry for joining us today um, uh, all I would say is remember for gentlemen of a certain age don't shovel snow too quickly <laughs> Have a very good week
5: Thank you The proposed voluntary health insurance scheme is relevant to all of us. As part of its efforts to enhance the dual-track healthcare system, the government is proposing the scheme which would offer a set of minimum requirements, including coverage of pre-existing conditions, guaranteed renewal, and budget certainty. A public consultation exercise is underway until March 16, 2015, and your views are welcomed. For details, please visit the website www.vhis.gov.hk.
2: Well, about 14 million square feet of new office space across 38 buildings is due to be completed in the next five years in Hong Kong. The city's office rates are reputed to be the second highest in the world. So by all accounts, Hong Kong will remain a very landlord-friendly market for... the foreseeable future and to pick through all of this we have richard stevenson who's director of the tenant advisory group of cushman and wakefield
6: good morning richard morning richard and thank you for having me back on the show it's
2: always a pleasure to hear from you now tell us a little bit about uh, the office market in hong kong at the moment
6: yeah, I mean, um, you referenced that 14 million square foot of, uh, of new supply. I think it's important to note that only half of that, around 6.5 million square foot, um, of this new development, as things stand, will be available to lease by the um, by the open market. Um, most of this stock will be either only occupied or sold off either on a strata uh, titled basis or on block. Um, recent notable examples include uh, Citibank and Ma- Man U Life perching their own buildings in Kowloon East, uh, which eats into about one. 1.1 million square foot of this new um, supply. However, the flip side of that, though, if uh, indeed these organisations um, do consolidate within these buildings, it will release further stock within, um, on Hong Kong Island. Um, you know, we talk about Kowloon East being the next CBD. Um, I think it's the only district in Hong Kong which can provide a catalyst for future sustained commercial development. Uh, and it's already grown into the second largest office district, and will continue to play a steady, uh, continue to provide a steady stream of development moving forward. Whether or not it's the next CBD, I don't think it is. Um, it will indeed provide a unique business district moving forward, and it will create synergy and complement the existing CBD rather than provide competition.
2: Yeah, we still all want to be in central, but uh, of course it'll take a little while longer. But what about Kowloon West? Because you're going to have all that massive area above the new station.
6: Correct. Um, You know, Kowloon West, I suppose, referencing the cultural district, um, is going to be adjacent to the new express railway link uh, linking Hong Kong to Guangzhou in approximately 45 minutes. Um, As things stand, um, according to the government's most recent conceptual plan, there's around 1.2 million square foot of office development, which potentially could go up. Now, there are height restrictions to around 24 levels, and this is adjacent to the ICC building. And I think whilst we're on ICC... Um, I think that's a great example of the Hong Kong tenant community, uh, for the most part, embracing locations that break with CBD norms. Um, we saw three of the largest investment banks move across the water in 2007 and 8 uh, to ICC.
2: Yes, but they moved to – I suppose they moved to prime area, but it was extremely unpopular with their – their employees, if I remember.
6: Yeah, I think it was to start with. Um, I think, obviously, most top executives um, working within these i-banks were coming across from Hong Kong Island. And, obviously, if you're used to travelling, you know, seven, eight minutes from perhaps mid-levels the peak, um, that was, you know, obviously they're losing that convenience factor. However, looking at the critical mass around there, uh, the F&B offering, um, the infrastructure changes recently, I think it's become increasingly more popular. Plus, in all due respect, the actual cost savings these organisations are making uh, over the long term um, it's you know it's 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 so it's so, they can so go much
2: higher new employees correct um, <laughs> and pay what bonuses about, what about well, yes we're all talking about um, demand here and demand being quite strong uh, what are the demand figures
6: like in this sector um, I think the demand figures have been around about 1.3 million square foot over the last five years. Banking and finance, to be honest with you, a lot of um, IBanks have um, gone through a process in the last 24 months of right-sizing, i.e., they took on too much space, perhaps um, you know, throughout 2010, and 11, and they've recently surrendered some space back to landlords, um, you know, and looking at their workplace uh, workplace solutions, you know, being a bit more efficient with their with the utilisation of their space. Um, at the moment, as things stand. Demand demand has been relatively static over the last 24 months. And this is a trend we anticipate to um, carry on over the next six months.
2: Alex, uh, I mm. don't know if you look at the property sector at all or how closely you look at it. What, what's your view at the moment as a Hong Kong analyst?
3: Oh, I think uh, probably demand probably would be a little bit static. As, 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 which we should point out that uh, we, we probably would see that uh, the investment banking side actually are, are surrendering the, 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 the spaces to the market. So uh, we need, and also if if the Hong Kong financial market actually uh, performed like this, and um, then property would would still have uh, some stagnant demand from from outside, uh, because asset management corporate finances actually are quite stagnant in the in the meantime.
6: Mm. I think another point to note, Richard, is, you know, given the extremely limited medium-to-long-term supply pipeline in Central, what is happening is the expansion of the CBD in an eastward direction across Hong Kong Island, and occupiers are willing to explore options in Wan Chai, Corso Bay, Hong Kong East, as an extension of the CBD. This
2: is the famous Central East. Correct. As they they called in. Um, Just finally, what's your view on rents, Um, uh, of course, companies have had mm. continual problems in hong kong with rents and uh, having to move out of prime premises into uh, maybe premises less so probably rents keep going up is that a trend we're likely
6: to see say over the next two or three years Definitely uh, increasingly professional services firms you know accountants lawyers front office banking and finance are shifting in an eastward direction and we are firmly of the opinion this trend will continue um, I think it's also important to note these tenants are not compromising um, on the external built environment in nearly all cases they're upgrading and building quality um, so it 's really cost saving and flight to quality um, I suppose the only real sort of you know, stigmatism stature at all is this sort of location centric taboo Hong Kong has but I think we are seeing key fundamental changes with that at, at present.
2: Well, thank you very much, Richard, for joining us today. That's Richard Stevenson, Director of the Tenant Advisory Group at Cushman and Wakefield. Now, before we move on today, we have an announcement from the Transport Department at 8.10am. It says, due to traffic accident, part of the lanes of Wangchukhang road Aberdeen Tunnel bound near Namlong San Road are closed to all traffic. Remaining lanes are still available to motorists. Traffic queues on Wangchukhang road Aberdeen Tunnel bound ends at Shekpai Wan. Motorists are advised to use alternative routes such as Pokfulam Road. Traffic is very congested now. Motorists are advised to drive with utmost care and patience and pay attention to TV radio announcements on traffic conditions. Right, let's move on to our industry segment today. The uh, modern gold rush seems to be in starting online businesses. Uh, WhatsApp sold for 19 billion last year. Uh, Uber, the taxi app, is valued at 50 billion US dollars. So the Easy Riches seems to be starting a game-changing e-commerce website. But with every business, doesn't have to be game-changing. Uh, maybe just doing the basics properly can be important. So to discuss the challenges of setting up an e-commerce website is Joanne Oi. Uh, good morning, Joanne. Good morning. Now, Joanne, I see from your resume, you're a former executive at Shanghai Tang. Uh, you've been involved with Clean Hong Kong, now CEO of Plucker.com. That's quite a, quite a variety of resumes. Uh, as an entrepreneur, do you have to have that range of experience, do you think?
1: Well, just, to answer, yes, in today's uh, world, absolutely, you need to have a huge horizontality in terms of your knowledge as well as skill set, because it's an extremely dynamic, fluid business environment uh, Tell us about your business model at Plucker. It's a made-to-order online catalog of over 1,000 styles of designer fine jewelry from all over the world. We basically do the order fulfillment and the marketing for suppliers and designers of fine jewelry and serve as a turnkey marketplace uh, to offer their goods internationally. And we're based in Hong Kong, but our main market is actually in North America.
2: Okay, so to translate your elevator pitch, what you're basically doing is you've got a a site where people can almost design their own jewelry.
1: No, we make the jewelry to order. Actually, it's not jewelry that can be customized to spec by the customer.
2: Okay, so you you have a wide selection and and you do it that way. But uh, I'm interested in how you actually developed along this path as an entrepreneur because initially you had a different business model.
1: We originally went for uh, a business model which was value-driven, which was based on a flash sale, reverse based on reverse auction pricing in real time, meaning that the more people piled into the sale of a single item over a set, a bounded duration such as three to five days, the lower the price would be and it would drop in real time on the website. Sorry, how
2: would that work? It's the opposite of an auction, is it?
1: Yes. So, well, it's a it's called a reverse auction, meaning that the more people uh, want to buy an item, the, the less it costs per unit to manufacture, and we pass that savings on to the consumer.
2: And why was that not attractive as an initial business model?
1: Well, basically, I, I, we found that you have to choose. You can't uh, either the customer cares about price or they care about creativity and exclusivity. And we found that increasingly, although the qu- the, the, the number of transactions for this model was uh, significantly higher than what we're doing, that then then the model we're now pursuing per item uh, we found that the customer greatly preferred this model where we were really marketing the designer they're interested in the human being behind each design and we decided to pursue that because the margins were much higher as you can imagine
2: so starting a business says a lot of trial and error involved and you've gone down a couple of paths and uh, and you're now uh, hopefully on your main main business model what are the key challenges elsewhere that you think you've found in setting up a business like this
1: Uh, I think that at first, I mean, doing a startup, um, especially in in an area – that is relatively greenfield. What I mean by that is there are not many jewelry sites selling jewelry at full price, especially not designer jewelry. They're rather like they're they're selling commodity style goods such as Blue, on on Blue Nile, which sells diamonds. Um, you're uh, you're going to have to iterate your business model, and your your life is going to be you'll be gyrating. I mean, over the first I would say at least 18 months, probably if you're doing something as ambitious and new as we were. Secondly, uh, you have to study the the, the particular particularities of the jewelry the the category that you've decided to plant your flag in in this specific case for example we wanted to cover some we wanted to discuss the challenges of doing business of e-commerce in in mainland china specifically for the fine jewelry category or luxury goods there's a huge tax um, and and also, there's the issue of permanent importation to, into China, meaning that the when you do when you do e-commerce, returns are critical.
2: So so lots of issues to, to work through, yeah, Joanne. Tons. Well, we wish you the uh, the best of luck. Uh, have a very productive week, and thanks very much for coming on Money for Nothing. Thank you. Uh, Just to go through the markets, we have uh, the three markets open now. The Australian market's up uh, a third of a percent at 5,430. The Nikkei's down 1% at 17,251. And Seoul is up nearly 1% at 1,909. So just about uh, finding their feet. Um, Thank you very much for listening to Money for Nothing today. Um, thank you very much to Alex, our guest host, and uh, we'll be seeing you next week and, and to our other guests as well. Uh, now the weather for today is going to be cloudy with one or two light rain and mist patches in the morning and at night. The maximum temperature will be about 21 degrees and moderate easterly winds. And the outlook is going to be mild and humid tomorrow. Temperatures will drop significantly on Wednesday, so we're not quite into summer yet. The... Temperature at the Hong Kong Observatory is 19 degrees centigrade and the relative humidity is 87%. Now the news read by Samantha Butler.
0: Asia Television's Executive Director, Ip Po says it may be able to pay its staff the remainder of their November wages today if the expected advertising revenues are paid to the station. Earlier, the Labour Commissioner, Donald Tong, said his department had issued 34 summonses over the station's non-payment of wages. He called on employees to provide more evidence to help with investigations.
6: A couple of dozens of ATV staff have actually showed up, so we have already made arrangements for them to approach the Labour Tribunal. So that's on the civil side. On the criminal side, we have also undertaken 34 uh, summonses so far, and we are also gathering additional evidence. And that is in respect of the uh, non-payment of wages for the month of November.
0: Hundreds of police officers in the United States have snubbed the mayor of New York by turning their backs as he was speaking at the funeral of a murdered policeman. The officer Wen Jian Liu and a colleague were shot dead by a gunman with a grievance over recent police killings of black men. Many police resent Mayor Bill de Blasio's expressions of sympathy for anti-police protesters. Mr. de Blasio appealed for harmony.
4: New York has been from its earliest days the most tolerant of cities. A place where people of diverse backgrounds and occupations and races and creeds have lived together in harmony. But there have always been times when that harmony has been challenged. As we start a new year, let us rededicate ourselves to those great New York traditions of mutual understanding and living in harmony.
0: The former Bangladeshi Prime Minister Khaleda Azir has said her opposition Bangladesh Nationalist Party will go ahead with a planned rally today, despite a government ban. On-